let's go, let's go on board, let's go, let's watch some Nicholas Cage. Let's go, let's go on board, let's go, let's watch some movies today. Certainly up for debate whether or not I should even be uh, doing this project. It's very stupid, uh, but we are into it. It is the year of Cage. That was the year of Cage theme song you just heard. <clears throat> this is, of course a um uh, a big event it's a it's a, it's a it's a big event for the year 2020 it's going to take more than a year to complete but it's uh it really belongs the genesis of it is here in this lovely new year the wonderful 2020 uh where dreams come true that's why that's my slogan for the new year i call it 2020 where dreams come true and uh, i'm gonna be watching every nicholas cage movie and i decided to watch them in alphabetical order now that is uh that's that's right there is the catch uh, I think it's a genius move by me, and I thank you patting myself on the back for that one. Because what it, this was going to do is give me a taste of of uh, the Cage Man, the Cage Master, uh, in a non non chronological way, and in, in a, but in a, also in a way that I can order it and make sure I'm I'm catching all of the films. And I have the list. I do have the list. If you want to know, um, pulling it up right now, actually. There's 102 films, 102 feature films that uh, Mr. Mr. Cage has acted in, and I am extremely excited for this project. Uh, of course, we started it off with 8mm because that's, that's numero alphabetical. That was uh, the eights. Uh, the numbers come first. Uh, I, have to, I actually have to rejigger this li- jigger. Sorry. Excuse me. Um, I mean to uh, offend anyone with that, but I, I need to reorder this because I noticed that that the well maybe I'll just leave it like this. Of course, eight millimeter, the famous movie about snuff films, and let's let uh, Nicholas Cage himself explain that. What you seem to be talking about is called a snuff film. From what I know, snuff films are a kind of urban myth, sex industry folklore. There's there's no such thing. That's what I explained to Mrs. Christian. This is probably an S&M film of some sort. Simulated rape, simulated violence. It's hard to stomach, but there are ways of doing it. Fake blood, special effects. Would you look at the film and give us your opinion? All I want is to know that this atrocity is false. I want the proof. So there you have it. She wants the proof. There's the crux of the plot line. Uh, Nicolas Cage plays a private investigator hired by the widow of an old, rich, uh, creepy white dude who was clearly into some weirds. And that's that's sort of the underlying, you know, even you heard it in that that kind of, it, wow, it sounds even worse when you're just listening to the audio than just even watching the film. And this is a bad movie, uh, but, but you could just, uh, Nicolas Cage sounds bored, but the lady here, and this is, was sort of right off the bat where, where this is sort of an issue. She finds this stuff. She's an old, decrepit lady uh, on the verge of death herself, in a wheelchair and she seemingly only wants to know that the like in no at no point did she watch this and was like hmm that's some sick shit that my husband was clearly into uh and but she 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 i guess i guess she she doesn't really care about that it's sort of not even talked about uh she just wants to know that, that it's not real like as if that would absolve him of, of all of all of uh, his sins uh in in his life and uh, i guess that's in a way that's a very sex positive uh approach to to thinking about things like that but hey uh you can i i i, I uh did a written review for this and this is this is going to be posted alongside the podcast 
uh, at vernonhowell.com. And that's where that's where all of these Year of Cage uh, uh, essays, movie reviews. They're not really essays. Uh, they're just sort of you know you know you know what I modeled them after. And if you if you were ever a fan of the old website Video Gum, they used to uh, one of the writers there, Gabe Delahe uh, or Delahay. I'm not sure how to pronounce it or if I'm getting that right. They had a writer there, Gabe, who uh, wrote a column called "The Hunt for the Worst Movie Ever Made" or something. And he did like a he used a lot of clips from the, the movies, and um, it was sort of a humorous uh, plot synopsis take on the on uh, on assessing the films. And that's sort of how I see uh, this project and how the 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 thing I'm about to post over at VernonHell.com. Uh, it, how that how that's going to play out as well. So I'm modeling it really right after that. I'm kind sort of biting that style in a lot of ways. Uh, and if you're familiar with that style, you know what I'm talking about. If not, go to vernonhell.com. You can read for yourself. Uh, I'm going to have some gifts or some images, and we're going to get into it. It's a it's it's a little bit you know to me that's that's more of the crux of this project is what's going to be happening over there because I'm going to be able to highlight the clips. I'm going to be I think it's all within fair use. I'm playing a one minute or two clip uh, tops lengthwise uh, here and there just to kind of get my point across. And I, I do think that some of the um, movies are going to be um, not bad, so it sort of makes it a little bit more difficult to critique them in a, in a humorous way. Uh, but this movie is very bad, and, and, and the, the main reason why it's bad is um, I think Cage himself, he d- just does not seem to be sold on this. I mean, even, even in that last clip you heard, he's rushing through the lines, and if you really want to hear him rushing through the lines... You can stop at any of the numerous phone call scenes. So this is 1999. This movie came out pretty much pre-cellular phones. No one has a cell phone in this movie. Everything's done via payphone. Uh, Nicholas Cage is on the payphone a lot. He's always talking either back to his wife at home. Uh, and I'm going to play one of these phone call clips. This is, again, with the widow from the last clip I just played. And so he's talking to her, uh, giving her an update on the uh, progress of the investigation. And... Uh, is actually sandwiched in between two phone calls with his wife. So this is th- the, the movie actually had three phone call sequences that were kind of uh, mixed together with a montage of other stuff. And so the phone call was sort of a uh, background uh, audio to a montage sequence of him doing research type stuff. Anyway, here's the phone call uh, clip I wanted to play. Hello, Mrs. Christian, Tom Wells. Here's where we stand. I checked the film stock. It's called Superlux 544. Now, the company that made that stock discontinued it in 92. So, the film was made prior to that? Yes. And I'm probably being overly thorough with this, but you might want to dig up your husband's financial records about six or seven years ago, just in case, see if there's anything out of the ordinary. Obviously, this isn't the kind of movie you just drop off at the one-hour photo. So, you think it's one of a kind? The film that went through the camera is what we've got. There's no negative. Unlike video, it's not really designed to be duplicated. Whatever this is, I have a feeling there aren't many copies flowing around, if any. Mrs. Christian, I'm I'm looking for a girl we're not even sure is missing. And with this happening six or seven years ago, finding the guys who made this film, frankly, is going to be very difficult. Oh, I know you can do it. You're doing a wonderful job, Mr. Wells. Please tell me you'll continue the investigation. I will. I'll keep trying for you. You can count on me. Goodbye, Mrs. Christian. All right, so there you have it. Uh, man, just re- listening to these uh, uh, pulled from the video is even just so much worse, just having to focus on this dialogue and all this exposition that that he's clearly just reading off of a page, uh, you know, in the, uh, the, the voice recording booth. Um, 
man, it's it's not it's not great. It's it's a really bad film. Of course, it, Roger, not not neither here nor nor there. Uh, but I'll check in with Roger Ebert because I always thought, as much as I think he is a good good writer and wrote some great stuff and had a, you know had some really good movie reviews. Roger Ebert's take on films is one of the worst uh, bodies of he you know he hated Blue Velvet and but he gave this like three out of like a high three out of four stars and like really pra- really praised it. Um, just mind-blowingly bad takes on movies and he so you want to look up something if you want to be amused for the day for a day uh you can look up his take on this film uh which again is a very is a bad movie now is it the worst movie ever no and it actually it has some elements that i would say are so bad that they're good and part part of that is cage's bad acting i mean that's sort of funny he hasn't quite honed He's not giving into this role like he would, you know, just a few years later, even with uh, Matchstick Man, Bad Lieutenant, when he's going kind of this, the the, 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 two, the mid to late 2000s uh, Nicolas Cage, which is sort of the Nicolas Cage that we're still sort of uh, getting to see a lot in a lot of them films that he comes out with even now. That He's sort of this over-the-top, batshit kind of giving everything acting. He's not doing that really here. He's sort of more understated, uh, bo- almost bored seeming. But the, who is, someone who's not bored seeming is, uh, of course, Joaquin Phoenix. And if you didn't remember, he is in this film in a pretty prominent role. Uh, he plays uh, his, his his character's name is Max California. That's what he says his name is, and that's what they call him, uh, Max California. He's giving it everything he's got. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty great. I, I, I isolated two kind of back-to-back scenes where we kind of were introduced to his character who works at a porno shop in Los Angeles. So Nicholas is Kate, Nicholas Cage's uh private investigation work gets him. Uh, he, he IDs the girl in the video finds that she left her home in some, uh, some, I don't know somewhere in the South. Maybe I forget where some, some kind of rural uh, podunk area and she flees to Los Angeles uh, with a boy who thinks they're both going to be big stars and of course she ends up in this uh, snuff film and is murdered but uh, spoiler um, anyway this is so in the we're not there yet he's still looking for her looking for information and he's looking at uh, he goes into the first porno shop that he finds in Los Angeles and he meets Mr. Max California played by Joaquin Phoenix I interest you in a battery-operated vagina? Well, it's tempting, but no thanks. Okay. I'd hate to see you caught in one of those everyday situations that calls for a battery-operated vagina, and you just don't have one, you know what I mean? I'll risk it. Okay. Uh, your total is 74.58, please. Remember me? Oh, yeah. Came back for the battery-operated vagina after all. I need information. I thought you might be able to help. Thomas Wells. Nice picture. What sort of information you're looking for? Because I got all different kinds. The kind I'll pay for. All right, master. Now, I don't know what you're looking for, but uh, so we're clear from the start, I'm straight. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. Hey, zip it. Now, I can hook you up, though, you know? OK, you name the vice, I name the price. How long you been working here? Well, almost two years. What's your name, if you don't mind me asking? Max. 
here's the deal, Max. This thing I'm on right now has something to do with underground pornography, stuff that's sold under the counter illegally. There's not much illegal out there. Well, whatever there is, whoever's dealing it, however it's done, I want to know. I want a good look. So if you've got that kind of connection, great. If not, speak now. You're not a cop, are you? If I ask you and you are, you got to tell me. I'm not a cop. You're a private detective, huh? Like Shaft? Waka, 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 waka. Say, you ever seen Private Dicks with John Holmes? I got it on sale. All right, here. how much you making there? Oh, around 400 bucks a week off the books. Let's pretend I live in the same fantasy world where you make $400 a week in that dump. I'll give you 500 for a few days. Six sounds good, Pops. Five. Here's my number. All right, so then this begins the kind of uh, the buddy cop routine, which really makes for some of the the the, the funnest parts of it. I guess fun, fun is a hard way to describe a movie about a snuff film, but uh, the 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 most entertaining parts of this movie are with with when, when Joaquin Phoenix is interacting with Nicolas Cage because they have this odd odd couple buddy cop thing that's so weirdly out of place, but yet they're going for it, and Joaquin Phoenix is really going for it in the role. And I just wanted to, how about that? How about the soundtrack? The soundtrack is all over the place but at two or three moments during it they have this middle eastern sounding music that just like pops up and in for no reason like that was that that that, i played a little bit of that at the beginning of the clip just then that all that was for was um all that was highlighting was was a uh kind of a interstitial sign of shots of uh, b-roll kind of footage of los angeles like the grimy part of a part of los angeles why was it that why was it middle eastern sounding i don't I, i don't know uh, I do not know. Anyway, the movie just goes on and on. It, it's 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 very bad, and and uh, the plot's uh, it's very stupid. Uh, Tony Soprano shows up as a kind of a thug involved with this. Somehow, we're not really sure uh, how at first, and then they get a tip. Uh, uh, the name Dino Velvet. Dino Velvet comes up as as you'll hear Max California describe him, the Jim Jarmusch of S and M. The Jim Jarmusch of FSNM. Uh, uh, you'll hear him say it again, but I'll love to repeat that again because it's just such a such a stupid uh, line of dialogue. And they meet um, Mr. Dino Velvet. Uh, here's here's a kind of back to back edit of two clips uh, about that it's sequence. Producer slash director slash weirdo. He's like the Jim Jarmusch of SNM. How hard's the stuff? How hard do you want it? Bondage, fetish, gothic, hardcore. Definitely not for the screamers. It's kind of hard to come by, too, though. Mostly out of the back of bondage magazines, that sort of thing. But he's got fans. This guy I know, he thinks it's art. Now, he's told me that Velvet will do commissions if there's enough dough. Nothing illegal, but borderline. Like, if a guy wants to see a transvestite in a rubber immersion suit, get an right, enema. I got, with... the, I got the picture, OK? Yeah. So what can I do for you? Uh, we'd like to commission a film. A Dino Velvet original, one of a kind. That's right. I'm a huge admirer of yours. Oh, God, I love flattery. You're a genius, Mr. Velvet. A goddamn genius. You're the only one that's still transferring film to video. I mean, nobody really appreciates that kind of integrity anymore. You know, no one really does appreciate that kind of integrity anymore, and I think that that's a big problem with our society is that we don't appreciate that integrity anymore. That line, that was just a, uh, a master class of, of uh, bad... You know, so really, in a lot of ways, so bad it's good, and that's why this movie isn't a total failure. Is because I I found it entertaining in, in in moments like that. I was sort of like, this is so stupid. 
I'm 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 having fun watching this very stupid movie about a snuff film. Uh, so we Peter, uh, the great Peter Storm Stormare Stormar uh, of Fargo. He plays the 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 mute uh, killer from Fargo. The guy who doesn't talk much. You know him. He's been in. He was in Big Lebowski too. I mean, he's been in uh, so many great movies. Uh, Peter Stormar Stormar Stormare. Uh, and he's of course wearing when they he plays Dino Velvet, and when we when we meet Dino Velvet, they go to New York City uh, because Jim he's a Jim Jarmusch of S and M, and he goes, "How hard is this stuff?" And he goes, "How hard do you want it?" Us, oh, that's that's another one right that got me right there where where it needed to be. Uh, so good, so good. They go to NYC, they go to some dingy uh, back alley uh, office space, and. He, uh, he, of course, he's wearing a velvet jumpsuit, and uh, Dino Velvet, of course, he's wearing a Dino, he's wearing a, a velvet jumpsuit. The, and then uh, right, right after this, so they they commission him to make a movie to get information because he's the guy who knows Machine. They figure out that, oh, sh- I forgot to mention that Machine is this masked killer. He's from the original snuff film that the old lady, uh, eight millimeter film that she found, she finds in the safe. Uh, they find out that it's a guy who's, whose whose uh, stage name is Machine. And probably my my favorite line in the movie. I'll play. Well, this will be the last clip I play because uh, it's this. The, the movie goes completely off the rails here. Not not in a not in a really great way. In a kind of a, I don't want to be watching this kind of way. But uh, let's play this last clip, um, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. And then we'll wrap it up because honestly, I don't. I did. You know, I wrote. I wrote a whole freaking big thing at the at the, the website. And I don't. These podcasts don't need to be that long. Why? It's twenty minutes. We're in and out. Anyway, this is when he meets Machine. There you are. Come and join us. Hello, machine. Love your work. And that's really uh, Nicolas Cage's finest work in the whole movie, that delivery of uh, I love your work to the masked S&M murderer freak machine. So the movie goes completely off the rails at this point, and I'll just quickly, we'll quickly go go through it if you're interested uh, in, in how this movie ends, because don't watch it. I mean, don't, there's, there's so many other movies to watch. You don't need to watch 8mm. Why am I doing this? Uh, why, why, why do this? Since this, this being the first year of Cage production, I should maybe clarify a little bit more my stance of why one would would subject themselves to this. And in general, it is because I, I like Nicolas Cage. I think he's, I, you know, I especially some of his recent choices of films, uh, I've really liked him. I remember even some of the movies that I, I'm sure aren't great that I liked when I was younger, a little bit younger, like The Weatherman. I liked him. And just, just that's a random one that popped in my head. I just liked him because of Nicolas Cage, uh, because I like his commitment in most of the roles. And part of the problem this this movie doesn't work is that he just doesn't seem committed like he does in other other. You know, it, it, this this movie. Is set up for him to be kind of uh, uh, this crazy madman because it, as the plot progresses, at that point on, and there's still about 45 minutes left in the movie at this point in the in the clips that I've been playing, he he goes crazy. He loses his mo- own mind and he becomes kind of a violent killer himself. Uh, is a re- they're revenge killings, but nonetheless, uh, he he does sort of lose it. He loses kind of his grasp on on shit. And they don't. It, it's so so there was fodder there for a great cage performance. But we just don't really get it. And I don't know what, what you know. I don't know why that is. Maybe he hasn't honed that kind of batch. He's he certainly had played some batshit characters up until this point, 
Uh, you know, he he's coming off of a run of uh, huge ac- action films like Face Off and uh, The Rock, uh, right? I think the, both of those films came out before um, before Eight Millimeter. Let me just double check. Let me just double check. Um, where the hell is this? Right, here we go. Nicholas Cage filmography. I should have this pulled up, but I don't. Uh, ninety nine. So he does eight millimeter. Yeah. So he he had done Face Off, Con Air, The Rock. So after he does Leaving Las Vegas, he does this string of just huge freaking movies. And then right after this, he did Bringing Out the Dead, which is another great, and that's a Scorsese movie, which he's awesome in. And it's one of, I think, Scorsese's underrated films. Can't, can't wait to rewatch that one uh, for this project. So this is why I'm doing the project with Cage. I feel like he's got a huge body of work. He's always acting, he's, especially recent. His, I mean, his last, last 10 years, he's putting out two, three, sometimes four movies a year. I mean, it's crazy if you look at his filmography. So there's a lot of these, and we're gonna. And next week we're gonna get to one of the real recent recent ones. Uh, it's a movie called Two Eleven, which I have, I have no idea who what it's about or who. It's some sort of cop thing, I think. So uh, a lot of his movies are kind of cop things. Uh, he's he's and he's when, another another reason why I wanted to, he was a great guy for me is because almost out of 102 films, I say 90 to 95 even or something at least 90 i would say he's he's the he's the lead role he doesn't do films unless he's the he's the lead and so he's always on the movie poster he's always top build uh and and that, that you can say that about a lot of actors but a lot of them don't have this kind of range and quality i mean and seemingly range and quality right like he's done so many of these small direct to video movies that are just really intriguing to me because he's a guy who could work once every two years or once a year and just just pan pick and do do the movies like mandy and or try to do like a real big uh michael bay style like in, in the national treasure movies that are that are successful and make a lot of money he could just do those but instead he chooses to do these small ones like there's one that came out i saw the trailer for that it was a that came out last year called primal where he plays like a, a guy hunting down people who are in the exotic animal trade just completely insane shit that uh, that to me I find int- forever intriguing. So uh, that's 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 why why do this? That's why you do this because because stuff like that. And, and I think he's a really interesting guy. And I am super psyched to get going with the project. And I'm glad we kicked it off. This was a good one to kick it off with. I think in a lot of ways because it was so stupid. Uh, if you if you are wondering, I did I did hint that I was going to tell you what happens in the rest of the movie. So he so I haven't really been going too deep into the plot on this podcast. He he's hired by the lady to, to he tracks down the the woman the 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 girl. So he quickly figures out that she's not alive. That these guys are in fact uh, killers. It's right around that point where he's where he meets Machine, where he kind of knows everything's going off the rail. And if you didn't know, then he, right after that, uh, Tony Soprano pulls up with um, James Gandolfini and the lawyer. I forgot to mention the lawyer character, but he's this kind of smarmy guy who uh, he meets at the old lady's mansion at the very beginning of the film. He sort of sets up the the legal parameters for the job and how he has to be discreet and can't talk about this to anybody and blah 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 blah. You know, pretty boilerplate stuff. But as it turns out, he has a central role in all of this and and had been working with the now deceased uh, uh, heir, uh, rich guy who died um, uh, uh, this whole time. And I guess he had been kind of getting off on on it as well. And he so he he's a super dark dude. Turns out, kind of. A Scooby-Doo-ish uh, reveal. Uh, you, there's no indication that he had anything to do with it until 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 you find out that he does. So th- there's that. It's t- completely kind of as a, as a mystery film. 
it it totally fails because it it doesn't create any real mystery. I mean, the the the, the all the reveals are done so clumsily and so quickly, and 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 oftentimes like with their lawyer it, to the point where like you the viewer would have no I would have had no idea that he had any anything to do with this. So they like the it's just a lazy script. It's a bad script. It's a bad idea for a movie. First of all, it's so fucking dark, and it, it is like. When when he's in Los Angeles and they're going to these underground porn rooms, like it's super graphic. They're showing some they're showing some fucking real hardcore pornography, like on on the move on what you're watching. And I was like thinking to myself, I was like, how did this get made? Like, how did this not get like a NC seventeen or? It, I mean, it's a hard R, but it's 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 very much borderline NC seventeen, just with how much actual hardcore porn they show on on camera that you're that you get to see, whether it's on this, another screen or like in one of these underground clubs that they visited in Los Angeles. So anyway, Max California is like shot with a crossbow or something. And uh, so he dies there. Uh, the lawyer dies. Uh, the guy from Fargo dies. And the only two people who get away are James Gandolfini and Machine. So, and Nicholas Cage survives, obviously. So they all kind of shoot each other or kill each other in that, in the scene in the uh, warehouse that uh, after, right, right after, right after meeting Machine. And then there's 40, then there's still about 40, 45 minutes to go in the movie. After that scene, kind of, and so that's all the, the all the mystery of the movie takes place with. There's still all that time left in the movie. You, there's no mystery anymore. Like he knows this is real. He knows who the killers are. He sort of knows why, or you know, you know. I guess the why is not really ever. You never know why people are so fucked up that they have to, that they would get off on this. It, it's just, it's just they. That is what it is. He, of course, he, and then then he. It, there's no real earning of him losing his mind to the point where he tracks down James Gandolfini, tortures him, graphically tortures him, and then burns him alive. So Nicolas Cage clearly loses his mind in, in seeing all this evil, sort of makes him evil. It's not, you don't really get, it doesn't translate to uh, on screen that he's losing his mind that aggressively. Because when he flips, he just sort of flips. And it's just this, this scene where it's like, wow, you know, that didn't earn it. It just didn't earn that kind of flip out. Uh, violent uh, ending. So he burns Tony Serrano alive. He finds, he tracks down Machine, finds out that Machine's living with his sweet little old mommy in some other rural and nondescript uh, town. And uh, he, you overhear a conversation that he, that Machine, who's now not dressed as Machine, obviously, is just kind of, you don't see him on camera yet. But off camera, he's talking to his mom, like, she's asking him, do you want to go to church with me tonight? And he's like, no. And then a van, a church van comes up, takes the mom away. And, and this whole time, Nicolas Cage is lurking outside. Nicolas Cage sneaks into the machine's home. He wanders through machine's, I guess, childhood bedroom or still still his bedroom. I guess machine never moved out. And of course, there's Danzig stickers, Danzig posters on the wall. Like Danzig's, you know, like the, that's the only uh, like music they could have ever figured out that this guy, this, this, this murderer, S&M uh, freak monster um uh would be would listen to and i thought that was uh you know a little offensive for for us danzig heads uh machine is ready for this ambush and has put the mask back on at some point uh so nicholas cage gets to his house and the, and when he, when he when he confronts machine uh machine's ready for him with a counterattack he's got his knives out uh he's got the mask on and of course they tumble outside and it's pouring rain now and uh, there's a cemetery right in their right in their lawn. Apparently, they live right next door to a cemetery, so they're fighting in a cemetery, and it's raining. And it's sort of this 
everything you need to know about the film uh, that leads you to this very convenient uh, cemetery rain fight scene sequence that he's got the mask on. It's it's sort of the it's, it's as half baked as it gets. The movie itself is very half baked. At some point, uh, Cage gets they stab each other a few times. They're both kind of wounded pretty bad. Cage gets the upper hand, tells him to take off the mask. The machine takes off the mask, and he's the dorkiest looking nerd you've ever seen in your life. Uh, he put, uh, to, to drive the point home, he actually takes out some uh, pair of uh, eyeglasses and puts them on. He's like, he's like, what do you expect, a monster? And he looks like this big freaking nerd with the with the with the glasses on, kind of wiping his big chub, chubby face, and um, he's just a big geek. And uh, Cage Nicholas Cage kills him. Basically, the end of the movie, uh, he, he goes, he, he commits all these atrocities. You know, he's, at this point now, uh, Nicholas Cage has killed how many people? Three or four? Uh, three people, I think, or four? No, how did uh, the lawyer? I guess he's responsible for, for four, uh, four deaths. And he, oh, the old lady commits suicide. At some point, um, when when she maybe when she finds out that he tells her the movie is real, uh, I don't know, but she leaves a, 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 lo- a buttload of cash behind for both Nicolas Cage and the and the family of the girl who was murdered. Nicolas Cage sends the mom, or I, I forget who. At this point, I was sort of checked out watching the movie. I don't remember if he sends it to her in the mail or if he uh, visits her and gives it to her in person. I think he just mailed it to her. And then he returns home to you know, Catherine Keener, who uh, was his wife and his small baby. Um, I don't know if I mentioned Catherine Keener, who's in this as the wife. She's in it for about five scenes and a lot of phone calls. And uh, he returns home to their very kind of um, modest suburban, I believe it's in Pennsylvania somewhere, home at the end of a street. And he's raking leaves, looking very sad and looking very forlorn. And Nicolas Cage, uh, the mailman, comes and it's a letter from... Uh, the mom of the girl saying, uh, you know, you know, I, at first I was mad that you told me the truth about my daughter. I couldn't accept it, but I am, th- she, she, she goes, but I thank you for the street justice and for killing them roguely. All, uh, she's like, thank you for doing that. And the, this is all in the letter. I'm just not obviously just uh, paraphrasing. And then she was just like, you know, uh, I, I need a lot of therapy, she says, but uh, I'll eventually hope I'll, I'll get better myself. And then she signs it. Thank you very much. Whatever her name is. Uh, Nicholas Cage puts the letter down. Looks out, looks into the window, and his wife is holding the baby, and they kind of meet eyes, and he smiles, and the credits roll, and end movie, end of uh, year of cage chapter one eight millimeter. We've we got through it, a bad one, a really bad one. Uh, again, don't watch it. Don't. There's no reason to watch this movie. Uh, it's not. It's not so good, so bad that it's good in a way that you really want to watch it. I mean, you can you could go to vernonhell.com and watch the clips of Max California that I've uh, and the, the one scene of him uh, meeting machine. Those are two. Those are two funny moments. Otherwise, it's very bad. It's, and and it's not. It's it'll make you feel bad watching it too because what because the subject matter is just so fucking bleak that it's just it's not it's not a fun watch by any means. And next week on the program. Hopefully this will come out on Fridays. I'm a little bit busy, so this might be it might uh, it might not be Friday, uh, but it'll it'll come out soon. And then eventually, as the year goes on, we'll get on a once a week schedule here. And it's again, it's going and I'm sure I won't be able to do it every single week, but it's gonna be basically every week uh, until we finish watching every single Nicolas Cage movie. 
uh, which will be at the end of 2021, early 2022, which is, uh, it, wow, well, I, who knows if I'll still be alive. Uh, speaking of all these people who uh, died, hopefully I have a face, a face a little better than, than uh, Tony Soprano did in this movie. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. We did it. We got through episode one of The Year of Cage. It's also, I should note, episode 734 of the MySpace, the podcast, and the 234th movie review. Go to movies.myamerica, movies.myamerica.ca for all the reviews ranked. And this one I'm giving a 4 out of 10. Let's call it a 4 point... um, a four. I'll give it a low, a pretty low four. Uh, yeah, four point um one, four, four four point one four four. All right, that sounds right. One yeah, four point one four four. That is uh the score for eight millimeter, the Joel Schumacher. I forgot. Did I mention Joel Schumacher did this movie? Of course he did. Uh, not not a lot of good stuff by that guy. I was looking at his filmography. All bad, pretty much. I don't know if there's any movies of his that that what I would consider good of the ones that I've seen. But uh, this isn't the year of Joel Schumacher; it's a year of Cage. And uh, this is chapter one, and chapter one is ended. Go in peace.